filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues, including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So guys, uh, I've been working on this proposal uh, for for a couple weeks now, and I feel like uh, some something that just happened right before we started the recording has only strengthened my resolve. Uh, we need to everyone needs to throw in money, uh, and if you have science know how, um, you need to get a hold of me. Uh, we're putting together a time machine. Uh, we're all going back to October eighth, and we're just going to redo the last few weeks. Uh, we're going to start before the spirit, uh, plays in the NWSL final. We're going to get to replay the playoff game. We're going to redo this whole thing. A lot of stuff. We get, I'm sold. I'm there. We get to do, do it wanna, again. Do we want to start then? before the whole spirit final or do we want to like, just pop in at like the, like the beginning of extra time it, of, uh, no, I, th- I think it's, time. I think it's fair for the game to have to be replayed entirely. I don't want to cheat. Okay. Uh, the, in that manner, I, I, I don't want to do the, like, I don't know if there's a, a video game where you can rage quit and just get to the, the boss at the very end. Um, I want to re- you, you should restart at the start of the level, is what I'm saying. And this level has okay. been just awful for all of us. So we need to start over and reconsider some things and then try it again. And probably this time it'll it'll work better, I, I would think. But, you know. Couldn't work worse. Pretty much. Well, we, DC United could just not win any games and not make the playoffs. They were winning before that. Yeah, I think that part would be we're fine. We're not starting the season okay. over. Okay. Just I'm, going I'm, back I'm, a month. Just regardless, doing that over. Regardless, I'm down with it. Okay. I'll bring my uh, my hoverboard. All right. It's resolved. We need, okay. uh, we need Marty McFly. We need Doc Brown. And... If you know a scientist, please have them email us. <laughs> Any scientist will do. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. We're not picky here. Yeah, we are. Uh, we are optimistic that even a a marine botanist Biologist, will be able to help yeah. us. Any sort of, uh, yeah, really anyone with a lab coat, even like they could pretend. Or Matt Damon. Matt Damon played an astronaut once. If you know Matt Damon, have him get in touch with us. Well, obviously. Well, yeah, I guess that stands. Oh, hey, hey were- welcome. Oh, go ahead, Ben. If you were a scientist for Halloween, please contact us. Was that worth it? No. <laughs> okay. Hey, hey, welcome in. It wasn't. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast of sadness and despair. I am your host, Adam Taylor. They are Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about uh, the darkness in our hearts, the blackness of our souls, the uh, hopelessness of existence, and also soccer. 
uh, tonight- I mean, those are those are all one and the same. So. Yes, those are in fact the same thing. Uh, tonight we are obviously talking about DC United's playoff loss to the Montreal Impact, and uh, we're also going to talk about some off-season stuff and uh, the apparently still ongoing, even without DC United, MLS Cup playoffs. Huh? Before we do anything, though, uh, guys, it is it is time. This loss was so bad. Ben has called for a shot, and so. Do we really even have to call for it? I thought it was just obvious that when yeah, the season was, ends with a clear. thud, you have to we, go. There were multiple, multiple questions about whether there would be a shot on our Twitter account. Yes. People um, know. Everyone and also, knew. even if they didn't, we would know. Yes. Yeah. I knew this was happening. And it was among my uh, many uh, attempts to deal with this game, coming to terms with the fact that we're doing a shot, which I hate. So I have vodka. Let's Let's do this. What kind of vodka? Um, something. We should, take the, we, we, we should take the shot first, and then we can talk okay. about our. All right. Our, All right. Cheers. Cheers. Ugh. That was not tasty. Oh. Yeah, that was Swedish vodka from my freezer. That feel a little burning, which is good. That's uh, not... the sadness being burned away. Yeah. Yeah. Mine was pleasant. Uh, mine, as you could tell, was uh, very spicy. Ben had fireball. I, I yeah, it, it it wasn't Cinnabon vodka like it might should have been, but fireball is punishment in it in of itself. It was. Ooh. Jason, what did you have? Uh, I didn't have any like trash to drink, which is where I normally would have gone. It's like, what's the worst thing I have that I can take for a shot? Um, bad rum isn't really that bad as a shot. Yeah, like amongst bad shot possibilities, it's yeah. I know for you, but it's it's like well, if I've got to drink a well a, a a rail shot, then rum is probably the easiest. Um, so I went a different way. I grabbed my uh, Espolón tequila and did a shot of that because I haven't done a shot of it before. Um, okay. it's pretty harsh. It turns out. Um, <laughs> I, I so went to, I did... went to the I went to the ABC store specifically to pick up an airplane bottle of something crappy just for <laughs> this occasion. Good work. What are you actually drinking tonight, Ben? I'm actually drinking tonight an old fashioned. I made, I finally made some simple syrup for the first time in a while. So I finally have all of the ingredients for an old fashioned. Jason, how about you? I am opening it right now. I have Guinness uh, draft can. Um, I'm pouring it. So I made the doohickey. Yes, the widget. Um, widget. I made. Guinness beef stew over the weekend, and this is the final remaining can of Guinness that I didn't drink after nice. making the stew. So, yeah, it's black, like my feelings. <laughs> I am drinking. Uh, it, it, so I've made a apple cider with bourbon and applejack on here before. Um, mm-hmm. Tonight, I replaced the bourbon with uh, some mezcal get a smoky apple okay. with uh, a little Mexican flair and it's really good. It's pretty I'm, tasty. I'm very interested in this. Yeah. Uh, if, and when you come over, I'll, I'll, I'll make you one. Uh, yeah. I checked because I knew you guys would debate where the apples were from in the apple cider. <laughs> yeah. It you know is in well. fact, it is in fact, Pennsylvania apple cider from ah. a farmer's market. They brought it down from Pennsylvania. Okay. But okay. from a farmer's market, that's, more it's from farmer's market in Bloomingdale. So that's as local as I could get this weekend. 
Um, you couldn't get any from the artisanal apple, single artisanal apple tree that might grow in the District of Columbia. Uh, no, it was when I got to Rock Creek Park. It was uh, it was fresh out of apples. It, it was growing no apple cider either. I tried to grab a half gallon off the tree, but the last one got pulled right before I got there. Ah, that's how apple cider works, right? Yeah. Okay. DC United crashed and burned in spectacular fashion on uh, Sunday, shipping, or I guess on uh, on Thursday rather, shipping four goals before Lamar Nagel and Taylor Kemp found some consolation. No uh, consolation. What little there could be. Uh, they lost four to two, of course, to the Montreal Impact, ending their 2016 prematurely. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but for me, it, this game really was going through the the five stages of grief and loss. You know, the through the first couple goals, maybe a little denial. I actually posted a comment after the first goal, which was super early, like the the fourth minute or something. Mm-hmm. Post a comment: This team is going to score multiple goals. This is fine. We just have to keep it locked in and and get the job done. Around right after halftime, you know, kept that going through um, through halftime or so, and then when that the third goal came in early in the second half, that switched over to anger pretty quickly. I was pretty angry, uh, and then went to bargaining, saying, "All right, you know, three down. They, this team can score three goals in a hurry. They just need that one. Just give me that one, and we'll be okay. Just give me that one." That didn't happen. And when it was four nothing, it was just full on depression. The two goals that that Nagel and Kemp scored is like, "Oh, that was nice. This sucks." It was just depression. Nothing was there, and then eventually mm-hmm. came out the other side. Acceptance. Um. What did you guys experience during the game watching it? How how did you not to not to cause any, you know, flashback and terrible memories or anything? Well, at least for me, I wasn't able to actually watch the first half. All I could do was listen to the first half because I was uh feeding my very fussy young baby daughter and actually listening to it was almost worse because the announcers were I thought really bad. And yeah. Ramsey's Sandoval, not, not good to listen to. Yeah. No, uh-uh. in any language. And I don't think, uh, Caliger, not, oh, thankfully Caliger is gone. Cause he is Keith Costigan. He is probably the worst announcer of all time in English. Uh, but Costigan is not very good either. I will stand by that. I know he has not defenders, but people who say he's not, he's fine. And I disagree with all of you having, there, 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 to, there, there, having to just listen to the entire first half without watching anything. He's so bad. I think there are commentators who are better at national games and there are commentators who are better when they're covering the team they do every week. And people in Seattle seem to really have a high opinion of Costigan and they deal with them every week. Ooh, I don't so. know about that. Uh, well, Costigan played for the USL Timbers, uh, and a lot of Sounders fans are not going to ever, ever let that go. Okay. Well, I've there heard are from some people, people in yeah, right. I've heard from some people in Seattle that that they enjoy him. So I think he, yeah. at the very least, he's someone who is not good on a national broadcast. On that, you and I will agree, Ben. He's real bad. <laughs> um. I can tell you that my my reaction when Simon scored in the fourth minute was a very quick sinking feeling that this thing was not going to go well. Um, if you remember in the first 30 seconds of the game, I think it was Montreal had a decent scoring chance, like almost immediately, which is a huge red flag when you're playing a team that is coming to sit deep and counter. 
um, it shouldn't be so easy for them to generate chances. Uh, and when they get the lead, that means this, the game is set up absolutely perfectly for them. Hello, Jasper. Um, <laughs> uh, but when he, when they, when he scored, Montreal had the perfect circumstances to do what they wanted yeah. and they proceeded to do what they wanted. Um, United didn't really wake up at all until about the 15th minute. They had a solid 15 minute span that, that middle third of the first half was promising. It didn't amount to anything, but they were getting close to doing something. They were just a little off. The pass was, you know, a yard off here, a yard off there, but at least they were on the front foot. Um, they were putting guys in behind. It just was a little off. Um, but then they sort of got away from it, it sort of floated away from them again. Um, and Mancosu scored the second on what turned out it, from the stands. I didn't realize how good of a pass that was from Piatti. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I said before the game and, and this isn't like, uh, some sort of, uh, extra special observation, like Ignacio Piatti is an incredible soccer player. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that was the only, I mean, the guys from Mount Royal soccer wrote an article that finished by saying that basically their hopes on this game were Ignacio Piatti was on their team. That was it. That was the reason they were they had any real hope in the game was that, well, we've got Piatti. There aren't a lot of guys in MLS that you can just say, no. we are going to go exactly as far as this guy takes us. It's, um, it's him and Giovinco. Yeah. And, and, and possibly David Villa. Yeah. That's it. Those are the only teams that have that level of, this is right. our guy, and he's got to Santos us. isn't, Robbie Keane right. isn't, like... Right. That's how good the Red Bulls have two different guys that can balance it out. Um, non MVP candidate Sebastian Giovinco, by the way, and non MVP candidate Nacho Piatti. Um, We can get to that later. Yeah, Um, but uh, yeah, can can we can we just get to it now, please? No, we have to we have to examine this whole painful thing. Yeah, before Um, the game, this is how to get rid of it. This is how to get through it. Is is through harsh and brutal uh, examination. We are going to exercise this demon. Um, Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I uh, said before the game that that United were the better team, but and and should win. But that Piatti's one of the few guys who can beat you by himself in this league, and uh, Mauro Diaz is probably at that level when he's you know on the field. But Piatti just he did that that pass on that second goal. Like you watch the replay from behind Piatti, and you mm-hmm. see how narrow that window was. It was a great run yeah. by Mancosu, but. Yeah. The pass was unbelievable. And it's important to note that Piatti did, it ended up not just being Ignacio Piatti cancels DC United season. Um, Monteo Mancosu had an excellent game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Montreal's incredibly old uh, central midfield. Um, the Fox broadcast mentioned a fact that I also came across, and I'm sure anyone with basic math skills has noticed if they looked at player ages. Uh, Donadelle, Bernier, and Bernardello are a combined 100 years old. Um, they, they are all above 30 years old. They're all 100 as a, as a group. Um, and they put on a masterclass in positioning and in dictating the terms. I mean, yes, the Simon goal allowed, gave them the platform to make sure that that happened. Um, but Montreal deserves some credit for, you know, I saw some complaints about the game plan, but I feel like United tried to play the way they've been playing and Montreal tried to play the way that they've been playing. And Montreal just did a much better job of making sure that they got the game they wanted. Um, And I I think as frustrating as it was to watch DC struggle to connect passes, struggle to think, think quickly, 
um, to just sort of come out in the first few, 15 minutes un, unprepared to, to start a game. Um, I also think you do have to pay tremendous credit to Montreal, who um, Moro Biello said um, after the game that he thought that that was their best performance of the entire season. Yeah, um, I, and I, I, don't, I don't, I don't disagree with him. No. Having seen them in the Champions League as well as in MLS and in the Canadian uh, the the Voyagers Cup, I really think he was accurate. I mean, I haven't seen thirty four impact games this season, but I'm pretty sure he nailed that one on the head. Is that definitely the best I've seen them play this year? Um, You're mentioning the Champions League. I think is on point because this was a very this was a, a performance that was reminiscent of their mm-hmm. their best moments in the Champions League when they went to the final. Um, where they they played very compact and they were just completely lethal on the break. Yes. And they, United gave them way too many chances on the break, yeah. uh, be it turnovers in their own half, turnovers in midfield, uh, failing to get back and get set and put pressure on. Uh, Lloyd Sam, I think there were a couple of times where he just failed to help Nick DeLeon out. And Montreal was very clear. like Everyone knew before the game, Piatti was their man and he was going to be lined up with Nick DeLeon, who at this point is still a conversion project um, at best at right back. He, he's done very well at the position. He, I, he's I, exceeded expectations, but I think there, there was a, you know, people saw him play two games above expectations and people ran away with that. And, and right. maybe they should come back down to earth a little bit. Right. He's not um, a natural ah. fullback and it's going to take some time for him yeah. to be an everyday fullback. And he still he still did a pretty pretty good job. The pass he got beat on on the second goal is a ridiculous pass and he was keeping the line and forcing a difficult angle and uh Piotti still did what Piotti does and he made a great recovery run Nick DeLeon did. But you knew Piotti was going to be running at him one on one and he was going to need help and right. Lloyd Sam I don't know if he wasn't told to sit back or to make sure he tracks back and to help Nick well, DeLeon or if he was told to keep forward to keep a Yongo or whoever yeah, I think that's, left back. Well, yeah, yeah. Ambrose Yongo had six assists this year as a, as a left back. So, yeah. so keeping him pinned back is yeah. one thing, but it there's, there's a definite risk reward involved and yeah. whatever, whatever the calculus, it didn't, it didn't work out on, on this occasion, but I want to go back to the CONCACAF point mm. because this was a very CONCACAF game in more ways than just oh, yeah. Montreal's, you know, general style of play. Jeremy Marufo gave a very CONCACAF performance in the middle uh, as the referee, and he's not the reason United lost, but he, he gave out zero yellow cards in a game where Montreal was wasting time in the 15th minute. <laughs> and not just like a little... Um, that's no, like the thing. The thing is, like Evan Bush was taking twenty seconds over goal kicks at one nothing, um, which is you can understand why Montreal would tell him to do that. Um, and early on, Marufo had to establish like, is he going to be the person that says this is not okay? Um, and instead, no, he no, he's just, not. You know, a couple times there were a couple times where he blew the whistle and gave the wave to hurry up, um, mm-hmm. and. After the first couple times of that didn't become a card, Montreal would take that wave as if that, that was the sign to that was begin a the process to start considering to maybe play the ball. Yeah. Um, and he did nothing about it. And I found myself thinking as the half wore on, I was like, okay, he's clearly not giving a card for time wasting the first half. Okay, fine. At least show your authority by giving the proper amount of stoppage time. And he um, didn't. And he gave two minutes, which was like three or four minutes short. Uh, If we're being honest, Montreal wasted an incredible amount of time in that first half. Um, 
And that's part of CONCACAF play. I do think Montreal, when the ball was in play, made sure the game had absolutely no rhythm, um, which uh, is a then, is a much higher level skill. Time-wasting is its own thing, but when the ball's in play and still making the game go by without anything occurring, um, one of my friends in the stands, he was like, God, this first half feels like it's just flown by, even though it's been nothing but, like, fouls and the ball going out and yelling at the referee for time wasting it still feels like nothing has there's no events happening in this and then like three minutes later mangosu scored um but uh yeah they effectively killed the game in both ways and marufo definitely allowed them to do it right and And even though even though noted villain felipe martins is no longer with the uh montreal impact his spirit still imbues them well they weren't as dirty as Felipe is there were not the shots off the ball and the the as much diving there was some rolling around on the ground to waste time but I didn't feel like there was anything quite as uh malicious or despicable as Felipe on display it was just this was this was classic uh kind of CONCACAF gamesmanship on display by a team from French Canada and it wasn't just the time wasting. They were committing a lot of fouls, especially in the middle third. Anytime United had a chance to get the ball forward with any kind of numbers, one of our central midfielders or wingers would be taken down. That was just what they were doing. If you're going to beat us on the dribble, fine, we're going to foul you. And again, Marufo gave no yellow cards in this entire game. And the the thing is, uh, one of the things of persistent infringement is not just an individual committing too many fouls, which uh, Hasun Kamara clearly went over that line and didn't get punished for it. Referees also have the discretion to notice a team-wide tactic of fouling to stop anything and can give if, – if they ha- they happen too, in, too many in too short of a time, the referee can just give a yellow card to whoever commits the foul that's just one too many. Um, that is absolutely yeah. within the referee's discretion. He can tell them like, – Even if it's even if it's your first foul. Right. Yeah. It's like you guys are clearly doing this intentionally. This is that you are not fouling because you're, you know, you don't know what else to do. You've come out to commit these fouls. And Montreal did, um, which was smart because DC wants to play that vertical. The ball's on the ground, but they're playing vertically They want to move quickly through the midfield. So what do you do to stop them? You either flood the midfield with numbers, which Montreal's formation doesn't really allow, or you just commit fouls at the midfield stripe. Um, And they did that over and over and over again. And, you know, Montreal, once they noticed that Marufo was going to allow it to go, they just kept doing it. Yeah, and of course. Why United on the on the field and on the bench, both on both sides, United had to do a better job of, of figuring out how to deal with that. And instead, they were pretty wasteful on set pieces. Um, I think it was emblematic. I, I don't want to pick on Sam, who I actually thought might have been the best player for United in the game. Um, but he did have two early corner kicks that he bent out of bounds and right. they became goal kicks. And that sort of summed up United's set piece play, yep. at least for the first hour of the game. Their set pieces were bad and didn't amount to anything. I think those fouls and the time wasting and Marufo not doing anything about it hurt United most mentally. It, it obviously played into Montreal's hands stylistically and tactically, but it, it United were so focused on the ref and be, like by the time they felt like the referee was against them at that point, you're not playing Montreal anymore. You're not focused on winning the game. You are fighting this other battle in your head and that's a problem. And I think United didn't do a good job of 
focusing on the the battle that they needed to fight and instead they got sucked in. and so did a, a lot of fans myself included um focusing rage and anger at jerry marufo who deserved every bit of it but that's not how you win a soccer game which is the and goal that, and that speaks to the low level of mental preparation that united seem to have for mm-hmm. the game yeah. Um, because when you're not mentally prepared, you also get shaken up pretty quickly. It's pretty easy to be thrown out of your, your stride. And United was not on their game at all. And a lot of that was a reaction to Marufo. Once the, once the game was going, they were already down. Um, they started to get upset with the referee. The bench was upset. The players on the ice were, or the field were upset. Um, Jason's already in hockey mode, by the way. Yeah, well, now that we're in the the sadness times, I can only think of what what sadness is to come with the Washington Capitals. But that's <laughs> I, for our Caps fans that are listeners. I'm sorry because you know it's coming, and I know it's coming. It's not pleasant to talk about, but um, yeah, United was was you know they weren't ready for a playoff game. Um, do, they weren't ready. Do you for think that maybe? Level. Do you think maybe Ben Olsen should have just started his starters in Orlando? No. I don't think I that would have done anything. I don't think that was connected to it. No. Um, it, I mean, Montreal rested. I do think he should. And I will say, I do think he should have started a more, a few more starters than he did. Um, not knowing, not knowing the level of fitness available, you know, who knows what injuries are in there, but, um, well, one, he started Rob Vincent, who was a starter. Okay. At that um, point. But, but yeah, um, I don't think that was connected. Um, I think, United was a much there, – there's been a sort of a couple – I've noticed a couple of things where people are sort of conflating last year's tendency to just give up early goals no matter what and, and this game. Um, no. This game was like the first time in months and months that they had given up – or no, I guess against Orlando, but that was the the backup players. The starting lineup had not given up early goals like this in quite a while. Um, and I don't think this is the same as that. Um, I – the coaching staff certainly bears some responsibility for it, but I also think, you know, the whistle blows and so does, you're, you're on the field. Um, so does bad Bobby Boswell for turning back into bad Bobby Boswell. It's not just one player. It's it's the whole no, team. No, of course not. Yeah, but, but all 11 players were not prepared for the start of the game. Uh, Hamid had a couple um, routine saves that he turned into less than routine by sort of bobbling them up. Um, saves that he has the ability to make, you know, 99 times out of 100. And he ended up letting them come up a little bit and they didn't turn into any danger. It wasn't like he coughed up a rebound that he shouldn't have that turned into a goal, but it was still a sign that even your best player is not at his best right now. Um, and the players on the field have to take responsibility for that too, that, that they weren't ready for what much Mont- and Montreal didn't do that. There weren't any surprises in what Montreal did other than perhaps their ability to play at their very best in that moment, that might've been a surprise, but their tactics weren't surprises. The players on the field, there were no uh, surprise selections. Um, everything went exactly as any, anyone would have, anyone that's seen Montreal play knew this was coming. Once the Drogba wasn't, uh, wasn't able to play news became official. It was pretty much set in stone. What DC was going to be seeing when they took the field. Um, and they just weren't, ready for that level of challenge. And um, maybe that's one of the next steps for this team is if they want to be a more front foot team uh, to bring back the, the mental strength that comes with there, that has been kind of characteristic of the team in the past, you know, 
you can't let that go away in place of being an attacking team only. Um, and United has yeah. been giving up a lot of goals in this, you know, they've been scoring a ton, but they've also been giving up a ton or comparatively, not a ton, but they've been giving up more than normal. Um, and they've got to find a way to be as mentally strong as a group um, and as focused as a group when they're playing this style that if they can do that, they're going to be a very dangerous team next year. But if they can't, they're going to have games that go like this one where the other team executes their mm-hmm. plan very well. And it is this kind of disaster. Yeah. But the same thing happens to uh, FC Dallas when they lose a game. Sometimes it gets really away from them, even with Mauro Diaz. It happens to NYCFC who scored the most goals in MLS this year, but allowed the second most. Their pro- NYCFC's problem is a little different because they are just right. They play the I, same I way no matter I'm what. Just, so they get I'm, yeah. I'm, Dallas. I'm is painting with broad strokes. I'm painting with broad a, strokes here, Jason. No, but Dallas is a pretty good example for that um, of a team that uh, when they lose their way a little bit, they lose their way a lot. And like against United, Seattle. United lost their way a lot, and they are out of the playoffs. Yeah. So I. The hardest thing for me right after this game is that it felt like we didn't really learn anything new in this game. It wasn't like last year where like where we learned that something had to change because we had two years in a row of very similar playoff ouster. This year's was was very different. And Ben, I'm curious, right now versus 12 months ago, where do you feel... Do you feel United is in a better place now than they were 12 months ago? Yes, I do. Even despite this awful loss, I do think United is in a better place now than they were at this point last year. I agree. And I don't think there's an argument that can be made that they are not in a better place than they were 12 months ago. I think anyone making that argument is probably selling something. And 73% of that is Lucho. (laughs) Yeah, we are we are assuming that Lucho can come back, but I, he, yeah, he has to come back. That is, yes, we'll, we'll get yes, to it later. Does. That is the number one priority this off season. Uh, but this team is playing a a different style, and it's it's kind of funny that United were were done in by an, a very defensive team playing very stout and strategically fouling and not being punished for it because United did plenty of that in the past few years, but. United is a team that doesn't have to defend for their lives and then try to catch a goal here and there. They can score and they can play with anyone. And we saw that uh, during the run in, but the season just just ended and I had mentally blocked off. I had mentally blocked off Sunday for DC United and then it didn't happen, which is part of why that game on Thursday felt like, actual loss to be grieved and not just a loss of a soccer game. It felt like I had lost something tangible and personal and that that was rough. And, and it's because and they, this team felt like it was better. And if they can keep Lucho and if they can make some tweaks in the off season to their attack, I mean, obviously, I mean, we'll, and we'll get into this plenty more over the course of the off season, but Obviously, Mullins is great, but great only some of the time. So we'll see if he can improve. And they're going to make some tweaks to the attack. And if they can make some tweaks around Lucho and some tweaks around uh, around the defense and Steve Birnbaum, this team does have a great core. So I think this team can 
be definitely better next year. It's just, it just sucks right now. Yes. It just really, really sucks right now. Crashing out sucks. And in some ways it sucks even more when you feel your team deserved better or should have been better. But we have no, last year, no, last year. We have no reason to feel that way. We do. This DC United was I mean, the we better, do, but over the course of the year was the better team than Montreal. And if DC United showed up and was mentally prepared and took care of business, they should have beaten Montreal. And it's sure, but, it's oh, that but, normative sense of this should have happened that is so pernicious to my mind. Not pernicious like bad, just it, wheel, it needles its way into my mind. It's like this team should still be alive. Right. But not. at least point at least points wise, last year's team was better. I mean, not object I mean, if you look at the teams objective oh not objectively, if you look at the team subjectively, right. you might think this this year's team is better. And there are definitely arguments to be made both ways. Yeah, I would say last year's team early in the year was more effective at collecting points. But as the season went on, they faded. Yeah. This team was exactly the opposite. They figured out who they were later in the year and were playing their Very best late. soccer at the end and arguably the best soccer in the league. And that's why it, it, it hurt so much when they fell so flat. But this yeah. loss was not an indictment of that system of play. It was not an no. indictment of the season at large. It was a really bad night where basically everything that could have gone wrong did. And it, was- it happened at the worst possible time. And that is what happens sometimes in the playoffs. Even yeah. when you're the supporter shield winners like Dallas. And I, and I would add, you know, Adam earlier you said that there might not be much to learn from this game. Um, I think that maybe one lesson United can take from this is that they can't just expect style of play and being at home to equate wins. Um, and maybe they hadn't, because this run of form only lasted for, it only started at the, you know, the beginning of September. Um, yeah. is when they really yeah. started to get going. Maybe they hadn't learned yet, you know, what happens when the other team comes in and isn't just bowled over by you. Like, the other teams that have come to RFK uh, in recent months have just been blown out of the water pretty quickly and were just hanging on for dear life. And then, you know, Columbus held on for a while, but eventually lost 3 um, nothing. Right. A lot of other teams gave up goals in the first half. Um Montreal came in and weren't just bowled over. The game didn't just set itself up the way United needed it to. And maybe that's the the next step for this group is to learn what to do when that happens. Yeah. Um, now, you know, the other side of that is if you don't give up a, a set piece goal in the fourth minute, maybe you don't necessarily have to deal with such a difficult team yeah. uh, to deal with. But um, but that's not a know, new lesson. <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, maybe maybe this game came just a little too early in the the uh, evolution of this team. Um, we'll find out next year. Um, it kind of sucks that we don't get to find out, like, next week. Um, if this had happened, like, if all this happened, like, a month forward, we could be like, oh, you know, that was a, a home game that went poorly, but at least now they've learned that, you know, you have to figure out this part of the equation, too. Um, it's sort of a, it's a known, uh, unknown now instead of an unknown, unknown. Um, and it just, now we, we don't get to do anything with it now. We're just stuck waiting for, uh, the off season and the draft. Yeah. And we will talk about that off season right after this. Stick around. This is filibuster, the black and red United podcast. 
Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But But if this were a hostile work environment or if I were trying to steal your wages or, or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not, uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the district of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich law office. It is the Ehrlich law office. Uh, they, they offer discrimination wage and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the district of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason, except no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone, but Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. probably bring the fact that we know oh, well, I'll, just, I'll just keep going um yep. so while we were off the air we were actually trying to cheer each other up with amusing anecdotes about road trips and and beer tossing from other people and, and it was all fun and good but then we closed on the fact that uh it appears that Allie krieger is being traded and we got sad again and then we immediately started this segment of the show because we <laughs> love sadness apparently we just really love some sadness <laughs> Adam's not. Adam's having a good time, at least. I'm not. No, I'm not. This is this is head in hands laughter. Yeah. This is. I don't have another emotional response to give right now. Laughter. Um. So welcome back to filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Um, the Black and Black United podcast. Yes, the Black and Black Dead and Buried podcast. Um. It is now officially DC United's off season, and uh, as always. That means we are not going anywhere. Um, we don't turn off during the off season, whether it's on the website or here on the podcast. We will keep going. Um, just today, we it's started. Not necessarily the best statement about us, though. No, I'm not <laughs> saying it's healthy. I'm just saying it's true. Okay, that's, uh, yeah, it's true. It's just you know. And if you're listening to this, we hope you share our affliction, catch our disease, and and follow us through the off season because actually that's it, it's a fun time to read the site i think during the off season you get please to get please get of, the immunizations to our diseases you don't want it <laughs> you and don't want immunizations in general can we agree on saying that <laughs> get immunizations do yes that. also that just generally immunizations uh, and vaccinations yeah go to the during, doctor and request some shots just just get poked with whatever they got <laughs> Ask your doctor about super draft and expansion draft and and goats uh, Tam Tam Gam and tam. everything in between. Uh, this off goat, season goat we milk. are we Be are inoculated going, with goat milk. Where to God? I'm going to talk about this off season eventually. We're going to have uh, a segment we have every winter. Uh, it's been called Cake or Death. It's been called River or Life. Um, now it's just the DC United season uh, review. Uh, 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 uh. What else has it been called? 
I don't don't know what you're talking Adam's about. Adam's not going to remember. I remember <laughs> it being called uh, Goat or Fox. I um, have no recollection of this. Which uh, does not make any sense. Oh, oh, it makes plenty of sense. Foxes would eat goats. Done. Boom. And, and so why is the goat the good one? <laughs> because goat! Well, no, it's clear why goats are good. It just it, Are foxes the villain? Like the opposite? The, the no, actual no, uh, opposite of a goat? No, foxes are pretty yes. cute. Foxes are pretty cute too, though. <laughs> this is your system. You came up with it. I'm just ben, along for ben the ride on this if one. not. Ben is nothing if not internally incoherent. Like it's Gorder <laughs> Fox is what we're saying. It's yeah, really exactly. not. Anyway, it really is. We, that segment uh, started today on the website with Lucho Acosta. Um, last I checked, he was at 100% uh, approval. C- please come back. Please, please, please come back, Lucho. Um, he dressed up as Captain America for Halloween. It means he wants to stay in America. Well, he also said as much. So... Yes, please stay. Uh, anyway, we will be doing that on the website and recapping it here on the podcast. We'll be covering everything that happens this offseason, any player moves, any uh, per- other personnel moves, any stadium updates, um, expansion draft, super draft, preseason. We'll be covering all of it here on Filibuster and at blackandredunited.com. Um, before we turn back to the United list playoffs, does that make them divided if they're United lists? Anyway, probably. We'll just yeah. That was a terrible joke, and I apologize yeah. to you, Ben and Jason, and to all of our listeners. Uh, a fox probably ate that joke. I'm not even going to touch that. Before we get to the playoffs, though, um, let's talk about this off season a little bit and very quickly go through what we think the biggest priorities and needs for DC United this off season are. Uh, I assume we're unanimous that signing Luciano Luciano Acosta on a permanent transfer is job number one. Yeah. Is there any oh, disagreement? Yeah. Okay. So say we all. So um, after that, I think that the priorities there, there are a few that I think have to be on the list, but they can be in different orders. For me, the next one is getting some help next to him in central midfield, uh, possibly both in the number eight role next to him and the number six role behind him because Marcelo is not getting any younger. Yeah, I think um, that would be the top of my non-Lucho list. Um, I want to see somebody that's um, a ball winner, uh, but not someone sitting deep. I want a ball winner alongside Acosta, um, someone that's more mobile than the current options. No Um, Serena, but good. Yeah, he's not really mobile at this point. Um, Right, like like I said, no Serena, but good. Uh, No, I I, want to see... You know, if you're going to be a front foot team that presses teams and Acosta is going to step forward and press people, it leaves a lot of space when he steps out of the midfield. Um, So you need somebody that can cover that ground. Um, A young version of Ricardo Clark is the kind of the kind of idea here. Um, Someone that is going to get their share of goals and assists, but that's not necessarily what they're looking for first. Um, I do also think that... um, you know, somebody to be a possible option as the, as they stand in number six. I think that's less of a priority just because with Vincent and Jeffrey, you can give Marcelo a break sometimes. Um, or if you find someone that's an outstanding anchor midfielder, then maybe you say, okay, Marcelo, you move up. Chris right. Durkin. Yeah, um, and that's where Chris the, Durkin might come in. 
might. But he's um, not, yeah, we, we don't, don't know. know. Like, he's a teenager. The, I mean, and... the, the dream scenario with Durkin is that um, preseason comes around and it's just undeniable that he has to be on the field. Right. Um, and he plays for United for 15 years consecutively and, and you know, they win 15 MLS Cups. Right. Um, and, also, and we and all have also, his jersey, and yeah, and he becomes president after he retires. Yes. And um, is also captain of the U.S. men's national team and leads them to winning a World Cup. Yes, right. Um, we're not but, saying that's the ceiling for Chris Durkin. No, we're we're literally not saying that. We have no idea. You know, I'm, the, not, the, I'm not not saying that. The, the realistic hope for for Durkin should be pushing his way into maybe consideration for the 18 on a regular basis. Um, based on only one game seeing him against an NASL opponent, I do think he has the ability within a year to be pushing Jeffrey and Vincent for consideration on the game day squad. But, you know, he was going through a very positive moment in his life. He just had his professional contract, um, all the talk about the national team, all this other stuff. He's making his professional debut. Um, he handled it really well, but also like a year when you're at that age is a lot of time. Um, and so we don't know, I mean, none of us have any real concept of where he is as a player right now, because he's been at Bradenton with the, uh, the USU 17s, um, captaining that team, which is good. That's a good sign. Um, but you know, it's hard to say where he is and where he is in relation to United's current approach because he, he was here before that really kicked in. Um, that game didn't really happen in a transitional period for United. Um, yeah, it would be nice if, if the solution is just uh, Durkin is the guy that can give Marcelo some games off and maybe sub in from time to time. Um, if he's 17 and is playing, you know, if he makes 10 appearances next season, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and people shouldn't, that's like, you know, just because we talked about the dream scenario, like don't don't let like four starts and six substitute appearances in 2017 seem like a disappointment. That's still good at that age. That's good. Uh, especially in MLS. Um, so maybe that's part of the equation. Um, I'm sh- I'm sure United will be looking in on that possibility before they just go signing players. They're, they're not going to m- make those moves and then be like, oh, wait a minute, this guy was here all along. Yeah, um, the other thing to remember with Durkin is right now the plan is that he won't be available for United until after the U-17 World Cup. Yes. Which is in what, September? It's 17? Let's find out. Yeah, you I think guys it's in like that September up. or October. Either way, the plan is that he will stay in Bradenton unless, like Jason said, he comes in at preseason and just blows the doors off uh, wherever preseason happens to be. The 2017 U17 World Cup is in October. October. So um, basically, so he's he might, not planned to play a part. Well, yeah, I, I feel like that amount of time means that maybe he will play with United in the spring. And yeah. then go in the summer for like a U seventeen camp for a month or however long they decide to build up to it. Um, but uh, they also have to qualify, which um, I'm now bringing up. You get to, the thrilling prospect of hearing someone search things on the internet. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think, I think right now the... qualifying is April twenty first to May seventeenth or May seventh next year. So he will be able to spend preseason uh, at least a portion of it with. Uh, yeah, he UC comes before in. that camp, and then after the qualifying thing, if assuming they get in, which with U.S. youth teams we shouldn't make the assumption, um, or double especially if they don't. Yeah, if they don't get in, then he should join the team the next or like as soon as his flight from India. Right. That's where the tournament is. As soon as that comes in, 
or no, the qualifying is um in CONCACAF, so it's Panama. Um, but yeah, uh, he should definitely be under consideration as soon as he becomes available. Um, and and if they qualify, they should. I would really hope that United doesn't leave him in Bradenton from you know May until October. Um, well, especially since Bradenton yeah. doesn't really do anything over the summer. That's I this mean, year. Train. Yeah, yeah, but this yeah. this year he was playing central defense for the Richmond Kickers right. uh, over the summer. Yeah, so. I think he's most likely. I think if assuming the U.S. qualifies in April, then I think in the summer he comes back, spends the summer with DC United, fall classes start up, and he goes back uh, right. to Bradenton, trains for the World Cup, goes over the World Cup, and comes back for next preseason, basically. Or right. Unless the, he is so far ahead of the curve that it's like, look, you're on the field, and that's that. Yeah, um, exactly. Which is possible. Like, we should but temper that's... our expectations, but it's not out of this world. To I mean, he's only. Com- I mean, he's competing against Jared Jeff. Right now, he's competing against Jared Jeffrey and Rob Vincent, <laughs> uh, who are who are good squad are players, professionals. Right. But yeah, yeah um, it's not like they're world beaters. But they are players United needs to improve upon. And yes. right. if Durkin can be part of that equation then if he's not ready to push them out immediately, you still have to think, like, well, what about next year? Like, if, he, right. if these minutes he gets in 2017 might mean something in 2018, um, and we might have a starter at that point. Um, and as Basically, much as, you know... we love you, Chris Durkin. As, as much as we talk about opening Buzzard Point and, sign, you know, the suspicion is that they were, they'll sign some sort of designated player for that, some sort of high-salary, big-name kind of guy... I feel like another good story that you would want in place, you can't force it, obviously. as It's not as easy to make happen as signing a big-name player. But having a homegrown player just just bursting onto the scene as you're opening your new stadium is, is a pretty nice story. Um, it's not going to dictate, you know, the storyline, you know, press is not going to dictate what gets on the field, certainly not at DC United. Yeah. Um, but it is a nice a nice thing to think about. Certainly. Um, it would be a, a pretty awesome story to see. Um, but in, in either case, they need to go get at least one guy, I think in the, in yes. that department of the field that, oh, that yeah. imp- improves the starting lineup. I don't want someone competing for starting time or adding depth. I want someone who is starting uh, alongside Acosta on opening day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It'd be great if they could go out and get somebody who's just like, sorry, Marcelo, you're not starting in this spot because I am better than you. Or you're yeah, starting I mean, in the other spot because I'm taking this number. Yeah, eight I mean that, that, that's, what, that's what yeah. I mean. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. All right. So we have Lucho number one, central midfielder next to slash behind Lucho for as our number two spot. Number three for me is center center back depth or replacement should burn bomb. Oh, I lean and towards- or Boswell move on because they. I, I think we need a starting quality center back on this team because. Boswell's getting old. Burnbaum could be off to Europe at any, literally any minute, and, and if, we need if more. This, and if this season showed anything, it's that Kofi Opare, at the most generous reading, needs competition. And really, he needs someone better than him because he's not good enough to be a starter in a, in DC United system, at least not on what he showed this year. I think with Opare, I, I was disappointed that he didn't continue to, to grow as a player this year. I think that's a fair statement that he just didn't really develop very much, even before his concussion kept him out for a while. Yeah. Um, we weren't seeing progress. Um, I do think that at his best, he's still 
a challenger for more time. Um, sure, but he wasn't not, at his best for a whole season. So, I yeah. mean, he could definitely get back to it, but it's not right. a guarantee. I, I guess my, my thing here is that I'm not necessarily as concerned with center back, especially because Jalen Robinson also proved to be better than, than we were thinking he was. Very true. Um, right, yeah, but I so that's less think of a you need another three position. to four starting quality center backs to really compete in this league and well, should what one quality mean because i know a lot of teams that are going to compete with guys where it's like how is that guy getting on the field that center yeah, back i mean new york city fc is in the playoffs with two center backs that are not really of that that like, i think i think united has to have a higher standard for center back than nycfc at least on the defensive side because nycfc wants guys who can pass first and defend second and, and, and also nycfc has david they have david via yeah, yeah, yeah to but, to bail them out of problems whereas dc united needs center backs right. who now, can defend I and, and that, attack actually because center backs are important on our set pieces if burnbaum were to go then yes this vaults up you know right alongside the central midfield ball winner mm-hmm. um but as it's comprised i don't know that i necessarily think it's as much of a need as you guys do it's definitely something right. to look this, at i I'm mean it falls below that, the other two i was saying yeah, uh, yeah, yeah but, but it's something yeah, that perfect. they need to be cognizant of Right. I, I'm just saying I don't think I would have it third. Um, okay. Is the well, I mean, I'm saying have, it's not on the chart. For me... Well, also, okay. no, oh, go ahead, Ben. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, we're we're pulling this out as we speak, so I don't necessarily this is a say that... segment, yes. Oh, yeah. I, I don't necessarily say center back is third. I think... I actually think fullback might be... At least fullback depth is more might be more important than center back because, especially with Chris Korb, maybe never coming back ever to soccer... He was at he was at RFK um, in street clothes after at the end of the game he was on the field. Um, yeah, okay. So he's, he was I mean, also at a player appearance uh, right. after the game along with Charlie. Right, Horton. But that doesn't mean he's yeah okay yeah you're pulling out Charlie Horton okay two players who were never playing for DC United again. We don't know that. I mean Charlie Horton missed that. a lot of the season because he had um, I don't know that this was reported or not. Like the injury that he was put on the IR for was Steven Streff was at training and said his finger got caught in the ground as he was diving to make a save. Um, so his finger was like out of the joint it, and broken, etc. So it wasn't it's not good for a goalkeeper to have that severe of a finger injury. Um, so we don't know, especially since, you know, we know that there have been interested clubs in Hamid. Uh, or pursuing Hamid before. Uh, we don't know that that's certain to not happen again. Um, but uh, I guess my number three would be striker depth because... That's we, true, too. Um, we know from the Costa Rican press that Saborio is pretty much going back to Saprisa. Right. Um, Kennedy, Igbon, and Ike has not impressed. He would have um, to take like a... He's got, and he's got to deal with the pay cut thing. He, he, yeah, he'd have to take like a... A $700,000 a year pay cut. Right. Um, Which is hard to justify, especially because he's not going to have, I mean, no one in MLS is going to offer him more, but he does like his time in Sweden is what got him that deal in Chicago. And I'm sure there's some Swedish club that's going to be like, I remember that guy. I'd be willing to pay him $500,000 a year. Yeah. And if he, if you're him, you're like, do I want to stick around here and take like 40% or 50% 50% of the money I could make back in Sweden where I was more successful. Yeah. Um, and he'd sit on the bench here and he'd probably play in Sweden. Right. And so and nobody knows what Al Haji Kamara is going to do next year because well, even, even if nobody Kamara, knows. I mean, even if Kamara is a regular player in the squad and, and Olsen, when Kamara has been available, Olsen has made a 
seem to make a, make a point of making sure he's involved in the squad. It's just, um, you know, the amount of time he was out, it's not a surprise to me that he ended up with two different hamstring problems. Right. You know, right. when you don't get to play for that long, these things happen. Um, but even if Kamara is fit and available all the time as a as a backup, I don't think he should be the only striker. And you can't yeah. go in with like, well, we've also got Nagel who can fill in up there. You need one yeah. more guy. Um, you need to replace Saborio and you need to replace him with someone who is more like Mullins um, in terms of mobility, um, right. in terms of just general activity rate. You know, Sabo just doesn't move around very much, so he's not involved in, in much. Um, Nick de Leon. <laughs> <laughs> one of the, one of the last time he can play anywhere except center back. The, the last frontier. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think that's, what strikes me as the current number three on the list uh, is probably finding another forward. And, and that's not a go abroad thing. That's probably a draft or trade thing. Um, Can we lure Connor Casey out of retirement? Why would we want to? We want someone who moves. I said mobile. (laughs) (laughs) Can we trade for Alan Gordon? Uh, who does look mobile right now, but that's because he hasn't been playing all season. He's going to be 35 next year. Yeah, he um, comes off the he has a history of back problems. He basically was not a starter for L.A. Can we bring year. back Carlos Ruiz? Oh, my God. We already tried that once <laughs> a couple years ago. You might remember it. It didn't go well. I purposely have soldered that those memories oh. out of my brain. Is that, Good for is that you. what soldering does? Yes. <laughs> I just picture Ben like the guy at the end of Pi with a drill yep. next to his head. <laughs> that is exactly how it worked. And I apologize for it. that. That fits. Never mind. I don't apologize. That dark imagery. No, fits don't, don't apologize. With the rest of this episode. And to keep on the dark path, let's um, let's turn Men- to the playoffs. Let's uh, mention we'll Requiem talk- for a Dream. Good God, no, no. Let's not mention Requiem for a Dream, Ben. Ellen Bernstein. Bursted. That's the saddest part of that movie. Whatever that movie that movie will uh, scrape your brain and uh, ruin ruin your life for some time. Yes, yes you, should it watch it, you should watch it when you're in high school or college and you're willing to just sit cat- catatonic on the couch for several hours after watching a movie because that is I, what that movie does to you. I watched it in high school and then did that. Yes, I did too in high school. Yep, and that is where that is when you should do that. I have no desire to go through that experience again today as an adult, um, which is why I'm going to do the grown up thing and talk about other teams being in the playoffs after DC United got eliminated. Uh, as if I didn't sat sit catatonic after watching that game on Thursday night. Are we Anyways. just going to cut cut our own arms off like uh, like Jared Leto? Yeah, you know, after um, addiction and and everything else, why not? Uh, Montreal beat the New York Red Bulls uh, one to nothing in Montreal on Sunday, uh, proving that their their win over DC United was not just some random fluke; it was a a pattern of flukes at, at worst. Um, no, they they ran out a very similar strategy and uh, managed to completely contain. Sasha question. Bradley Wright Phillips had a couple of sitters that he missed, um, which, you know, that's, yeah. Uh, He's, he's generally a good finisher, except remember Thierry Henry pointed out that he should have twice as many goals as he does in any given year because he wastes so many. (laughs) Uh, 
either way, Montreal is ahead going back to New Jersey. Jason, is there anything to say about Montreal's win against New Jersey that we didn't already say about their win in D.C.? Uh, I think it was a little bit of a different game. Um, the Red Bulls certainly were closer to their best than D.C. was. Um, I think Montreal deserves a lot of credit for boxing question out of the game, or, or sh- I shouldn't say boxing because it was really triangling out of uh, question out of the game. That central midfield triangle forced the Red Bulls to play through Felipe and McCarty more, and those two didn't really deliver on that side of the ball. Um, I do think they got... Uh, you know, they, they got some things out of Mike Grella, and then um, Gonzalo Verón came in and actually was surprisingly good, um, which it was weird because he's been such a bust the whole time. Um, but uh, they got caught out by a simple long ball. Um, Donadello just threw one up there and was like, go get it, buddy. And, uh, and somehow, Mancosu did. Somehow uh, Perinel and Colin just completely shut off and Mancosu ran on. The finish was spectacular. Um, and uh, I mean, Montreal has that the look of a team that I, I don't know that the other teams in the East can can deal with this. Um, I know a lot Are they going to Portland it from last year? No, because Portland was playing more attacking. This is like an anti-Portland. But I am, the the main point is, though, that they look like they could seriously do this. Uh, a lot of people were saying they thought that... I know I sound... That's like a Trump thing to say. Um, a lot of people <laughs> Lots were of saying... Um, bi- bigly. Uh, no, but... Um, there was a lot of talk that, that the Red Bulls were still in a good spot down one nothing. I'm not sure I agree. Because I think they are going to open up, and I think they concede another counterattack goal. Yeah, um, which means and, they need to score three. Right, and super, super low energy. Sad. Um, I Can think we not. <laughs> Sorry, I'm I'm not going to get on that that impression that reference thing. Can we just not do that? Okay. <laughs> I'm more comfortable not. Um, yeah, I, I think that uh, the impact are going to get a goal at Red Bull Arena, and. If they do, it's going to take three, and Red, and the Red Bulls can score three, certainly, but um, with the way Montreal's playing, with them having a week to rest those old old legs in central midfield, I should say old again, uh, yeah. at least three olds. Um, they are now 103. I, I, I like the impact chances of, of knocking the Red Bulls out, which is you know a sliver of good news in this horrible world we find ourselves in these days. Um <laughs> But yeah, you know the one thing that would concern me with with Montreal is if they lose their heads because they are an emotional team. They've kept it together for two games, but they're always um, like one bad call away from spinning out. Um, and the other thing is, as good as Evan Bush has been in the playoffs, and he was really good against the Red Bulls, uh, I still worry about his rebound control, um, especially because I do not imagine that Bradley Wright Phillips wastes chances like that again. Um, and Bush has that tendency to, he's going to do a good job of getting to the ball, but is he going to hold it? Um, and if he can't hold it, is he going to direct it where it needs to go? Or is he just going to sort of block the ball and hope that it works out? Because when you do that latter thing, you gave up goals on the rebound. Um, so that game, that game sets up, I think it's going to be a pretty interesting one. Um, but I do like Montreal's chances actually of, of getting to the conference final, I guess is what, what it would be. Yeah, the the other Eastern Conference. Yeah. 
The other Eastern Conference semifinal is also Canada versus the New York Metro region. Toronto won two to nothing in the first leg up in Ontario. Both goals coming pretty late. NYCFC uh, changed from their usual tack of all attacking. Played essentially five in the back and one up front. They went back to something they did early in the year. They played a five two two one. Yeah, it was, and and the the two two that should have outnumbered uh, anybody in midfield. That's really a box that's designed to allow them to play through midfield mm-hmm. to get up the David Villa completely failed. And anytime they tried to play out of the back, Toronto just pressed them mercilessly, and so for long stretches in this game, it was NYCFC playing keep away in their own half against a team of rabid dogs is what it looked like, like just chasing them uh, ferociously. It was, it was kind of weird to watch because it looked like NYCFC was going to just pass the ball into their own net at any moment. And um, the fact they lasted 83 minutes was kind of uh, almost a victory, except for the two goals they gave up after that. Did you say two to one? I said two to nothing. Two, oh, okay. Well, if I didn't say two to nothing, I meant to say two to nothing. Because okay. uh, NYCFC did not score. David Villa no. came off. Uh, I think Dav- Rafa, and David Villa and David Villa should have been suspended, yeah. and the MLS disciplinary committee decided against suspending him retroactively, which was a little hilarious. Yes, um, even though they apparently unanimously agreed it should have been red which would seem to argue for suspending him. But this is the playoffs, and it's MLS, and they need David Villa on national TV against Jovinko and it's the, it's, the Beckham, it's the Beckham exception. Yeah. Um, that said, it doesn't... NYCFC has to win this game uh, probably by three or four goals because Toronto's going to score a couple in this yeah, you one. Have assume, you have to assume that, that TFC, if they can press the way they did... Um, they should have no problem getting themselves on the board. Um, however, that's a big if, because as much as I think Vieira lost that tactical battle, Greg Vanny has been choosing the wrong thing and losing tactical battles for himself repeatedly this year. He's done it time and again. Um, and it would not shock me, especially there was a stretch coming into the playoffs where TFC went, what, five games in a row without a win at home? They played yeah. five in a row at home, and they they failed to win all five. Um, I think they drew four and lost to DC United. I know. I think they. I think there's at least one more loss in there. Okay. Um, I think it's it's even worse than than you think. Um, it would not surprise. And the issue is that TFC goes cautious too early. Um, and this is an instance where they probably shouldn't be relentlessly cautious. They should actually go and you know do a little pressing. However, I kind of expect Vanny to default to what he's done, which is to think extremely cautiously. Maybe he learns from the mistake that Vieira uh, made clearly in the first leg and uh, says, hey, that guy went too cautious and it cost him. Maybe I shouldn't do the same thing. Right. But that he's said, made that mistake when, on his own a few times and he hasn't learned from it yet. So right. when, when Toronto went on that that home winless streak. They didn't have Jovinko, or I think Jovinko was around just for the last game of it, coming That's back true. off an injury. Jovinko makes up for a lot of mistakes, uh, tactical and otherwise. Oh, yeah. Still MVP, non-MVP candidate. Yeah, Jovinko. nobody. there's no accounting for voters. Remember, democracy is the worst system of government there is, except for all the other ones that we've tried. Nah, I, I disagree with that. 
It's okay. just because we haven't tried a Benocracy yet. Or a, or a goatocracy, for that matter. Th- those are both just forms of benign dictatorship which have been tried. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Uh, oh, uh, my, my dictatorship will not be benign. Oh. Well, we've tried non-benign dictatorship too, Ben. <laughs> we've, done, we, we've tried many flavors of dictatorship. Um, let's turn our attention... Goatatorship. <laughs> let's turn our attention to the Pacific Northwest where Seattle put... Oh, I don't, I don't want to. They put the, the supporter shield winners to the sword. Three to nothing Seattle. Uh, Nelson Valdez scored his second goal of these playoffs. Um after not scoring a single goal since the last playoffs. Um, and then Nicholas Lodero scored uh, two goals. He's probably the second best midseason acquisition in MLS history. Um, Jason, what, what can you say about Seattle and Dallas at this point? Dallas lost the best playmaker in the league, and they look like a team that lost their two best players over the course of this year. Uh, a little, but I think the main thing is that they they tried this five three two, um, and Seattle rather than it throwing them a curveball, Seattle seemed to immediately sense that there were advantages there, and they adjusted on the fly without much of a problem. Um, I noticed early that Kellen Acosta was having to play, you know, he's playing right central midfield in that that midfield three, but he also ended up having to pull out wide to the touchline over and over again. Um, which was Joven Jones, who you might remember burned DC at RFK um, as a late game sub. Uh, this time playing his more natural position at left back, just kept coming forward and kept making a cost to come out there. And so if you don't have anything going on in the middle, or uh, or if you don't have anything going on in the wing, you can go to the middle because you've pulled one central midfield out of the three out of position. And thus you've got two guys trying to cover all the rest of that ground. Um so Seattle really struggled or really took advantage of Dallas's maybe lack of comfort with that that system. Even though they've done it before, people are saying they've never played this way before. They have this year. Um, that that's a, a thing that they've done a couple times. Um, so it's not completely unfamiliar, but Seattle exposed it uh, pretty ruthlessly. Um, and the other issue that Dallas ran into is that the game started to go bad for them, and they didn't have the the tactical awareness to just shut the game down for a few minutes and make it fractious and unpleasant, but at least not a blowout. Um, because this game went from zero, zero to three, nothing in eight minutes plus. Right. Um, and when Valdez scored, there was a five minute span there before Seattle got their next goal. And it was clear that Dallas was in deep trouble. Um, and they didn't do any, they did nothing from the bench. They did nothing on the field to change that. They just sort of were like, I don't know what to do. Uh, what do we do right now other than just try and, you know, fight back with uh, going forward? You know, let, let's try and get our own goal. That was really all they had. They didn't think like like Montreal, for example, said D.C. wants to play this way. Let's take this take this option away by fouling at midfield, and making the game slow. Um, no one from Dallas even had the and Dallas is a pretty physical team when they want to be. No one had the good sense to be like, I'm going to level somebody just to distract Seattle and get them out of their the the flow that they're in right now where they feel like everything's going their way um no one thought of doing that they just they just sort of let it happen carlos guarezo tried that later like it was already the game was already three nothing when he was like oh i should deck somebody um and and talk trash afterwards it's too late at that point you're losing three nothing it's not the time the time is when the game is starting to get away from you that's the moment you have to do it um and i don't 
unlike with with Montreal, where I, I see them having a great chance, I don't see Dallas having any chance yeah. of turning this around. Um, I think if they open up, Seattle's going to get a goal against them. Um, and if they don't open up, there's no way they get to three. So I think in either way, they are like a, a one in a thousand shot to advance. Yeah. A three nothing deficit coming into the second leg is is nigh insurmountable. Can I? I'm going to propose something I mentioned during the game. Um, it's it's just a simple tweak to the home and away system that we have right now. Rather than it being the lower seed hosts the first game, which I get the sense that a lot of teams actually like having that game. Mm-hmm. Every team before a game is played, bef- between the draft and the opening day of the season, there should be a date where every team submits which leg they want to host. If they ha- if they're the higher seed, which one do you want? You submit. You say, "I want the first leg. I want the second leg." And whichever team has the higher seed at the time the playoffs come around, they get their preference. So if you finish, if you win the supporters' shield, and you say you want to host the first leg, you get to host the first leg throughout the playoffs. And right, it, even if you just. It, even if it was later in the season, like right before decision day, before you get turn in the lineup for decision day, you have to make your election on whether you want to host or go away for the first leg. Um, but yeah, I agree. Um, the, 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 the two legged series, two legged ties, if you want to use the European nomenclature, uh, we don't, it, yeah, <laughs> we, which, which we don't, um, yeah, that that type of series, um, it 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 fits soccer. I agree, but it doesn't. It's designed to nullify home field advantage for the higher seed, especially when you add away goals into it. Um, it, yeah, I agree. Uh, last game, last game to talk about: L.A. Galaxy beat the Colorado Rapids one to nothing in L.A., um, making a clean sweep for the the home sides and we're not going to mention the only home side to lose in uh, these playoffs. I don't know what you're talking about. <sighs> anyway, sadness, ben, despair which, and death. Which higher seed do you think has the best chance to advance out of the Red Bulls, NYCFC, FC Dallas and the Rapids? Um, I'm going to be slightly controversial and say the Rapids against the LA Galaxy because I think I mean, he only came in at halftime, but I think uh, Jermaine Jones really is a game changer. And I think that despite uh, their defensive mindset most of the year, I think he really can provide a difference. And I think the Galaxy are old and fragile and can be, I, I think that they can put together a two to zero win over them. So, uh, up in the especially up in the atmosphere in Commerce City. So I'm gonna go with the Rapids having the best chance, even though most people will probably say it's the Red Bulls having the best chance to come back over uh the impact. Jason, you agree? Uh I don't know. I don't I don't like Colorado's chances because I've I've thought the whole time that their way of playing that incredibly low margin for error is going to come back and bite them. Um, if they had gotten out of L.A. with a 0-0, I would absolutely agree. But the fact that they have to make up for it, I think they're going. I think there's an error of some kind of some kind of mistake at the back that's going to cost them. They're going to end up winning, or they're going to end up with a one-one draw or a two-one win and go out on away goals. Um, so, do you think any of the higher seeds advance? Um, out of maybe NYCFC, 
um, just on the fact that uh, at at Yankee Stadium we've seen so much chaos this year, um, and the fact that I don't have confidence in Greg Vanny's ability to under to take the lessons that he should take from that game. I don't know that he's going to take them. I'm not a big fan of of Vanny's approach to in game tactics. I think he gets a lot of things wrong. Um, he's too cautious for me, and he also makes changes when they don't need to be made. Um, it's a weird mix of he's cautious, but he wants to be involved. Um, and there's also a, a quickness to defaulting to uh, crossing bombardment. Um, there, Obviously, Giovinco could cancel all of that on his own. Like, Vanny right. could get everything wrong, and Giovinco could score two goals, and it, that'll be enough. Yes. Um, but I also feel like if it, maybe the Red Bulls have the best chance, you know, because of the, the scoreline, but uh, I don't know. I feel like Vieira made his mistake, and that's he's going to figure out that how wrong that was and go back to what works. Um, there was the there were a rumor going around uh, that I think Empire Soccer reported that um, several players met up to discuss how unhappy they were with that change to a defensive way of playing. Um, they felt that NYCFC should basically dance with who brought them. Um, mm-hmm. so to speak, and they were unhappy with that. If that's true, then Vieira's got some work to do outside of tactics. He's got to bring the squad back together for for a one-off game, potentially, um, which might might be too much to do at, at this stage in his coaching career. But, um, yeah, that, that, that game strikes me as a, the potential for uh, a wild comeback. Just the fact that NYCFC scores so many goals at home and their games get so crazy – I don't know that TFC necessarily does well in that situation. Though, again, the qualifier being that Giovinco could wipe all of that out because he he has that in his... uh, He's capable of just canceling out everything that you did wrong anyway. He's the... the, You can make a mistake all you want, and he's just going to come along with, no, I got it, guys. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) Hold my beer. I got this. Yeah. Yeah, I... I guess technically... I I agree in the technical sense that you pointed out that the Red Bulls probably have the best chance, but I, I'm going to agree with Ben that Colorado probably has the best chance to turn around of all the higher seeds, all of which are behind uh, right now. Uh, because I don't... I should never bet against Bruce Arena in the playoffs. Um, many people have lost all their money doing that. Nobody's actually done that, but if g- give it time... Yeah. People you said will, that you weren't going to do the uh, the Trump impression, and you did it. Many people. Damn it! No, I didn't say many people say. That's true, but I said many people have lost their money. At this point, he's stolen reason. the phrase "many people" from from society. No, I refuse to yield that to him. <laughs> I will not do that. Um, That's a bigly statement. I hate you guys so much. <laughs> Colorado, I think, has the best chance to turn around because their defense is is generally pretty solid, especially at altitude. Uh, and and I and also, I don't trust Landon, this version of the galaxy. And Landon Donovan is old and will be huffing and puffing at six thousand feet. Right, and and I don't think that Emmanuel Boateng will single handedly destroy Colorado the way he he did RSL. At least Arena appears to have the likely good sense to not put Steven Gerrard in. Um, well, I mean, it helps that Steven Gerrard is an ocean away. 
No, no, he's back. He was on oh, the Oh, he's back. Yeah, oh, he was I missed that. that game. Okay. Um, yeah. But if he gets thrown back into the fray, then Colorado is going to win this thing. Yes. Um, especially if it's a start, because he doesn't defend. Um, he's already living a life at sea. And he, <laughs> he really is. He really is at sea already. Um, that's just an apparition wearing his jersey uh, floating around. Yeah, there's a part of me that wants to see Marlon Harrison get, you know, three assists in this game against well, LA. Well, the downside of that is you have to hope that Pablo Mastroeni puts him on the field. Yeah, that's um, true. Because even though be Harrison has been... It, it's glaringly obvious that Harrison has to start for that team. He didn't start the first leg, um, which is a... The Rapids are leading a charmed life. <laughs> Yeah, it's been, there's been a lot of like, what are you doing? And then they win one nothing, and you're like, come on. Um, yeah, maybe. I hope I don't know. Pablo, I feel like is Pablo Mastroni is as likely to take the lesson that he should just do what he did, but harder. Yes, as he is to uh, make the tactical adjustment that the situation calls for. So we'll see. Who knows? Um, I this think this is a team that's been I, motivated I think it's entirely stickers. It's entirely possible that all four higher seeded teams fail to move on, and we are guaranteed to have a winner that played in the wild card round or the the knockout round. Um, it's the playoffs are a wild thing, and it's a lot of fun. And I'm now even more sad that DC United are not still in it. So we're just going to end the show before I start crying. Thank you all for listening to this sad fest tonight. Um, Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. I will do my best not to weep while I read them. Um, we're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on the podcatcher of your choice. Um, we're on SoundCloud. Uh, ben, are we on that other thing yet? No. Okay. So we're not going to mention the other thing. Of course. We have, we have to choose. We. We have to choose a new logo first. Okay. There's a new logo coming, by the way. There is a new logo. I'm publicly shaming you all into choosing a new logo with me. We gave you feedback, and that was the last we heard. Yes. I think this ball's in your court, Ben. You're publicly shaming yourself. I could be, but I'm publicly shaming you. (laughs) Except, okay, whatever. You're going to be more stubborn than I am, and I'm just going to end the show. Anyway, um, please tell a friend about the show. Word of mouth is really the best way. Uh, to get the word out about filibuster. So thank you all for listening again. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. We will talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. I wish it was still October 8th. <laughs> <laughs>